Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Charlie. This week, I am joined by Dusty Brown, Artistic Director of Red Twist Theater. Red Twist strives to create searing hot drama from name brand blockbusters to risky new works and obscure buried treasures that pack emotional force, examine moral dilemmas, and reveal greater truths by transforming their tiny black box and its explosive immediacy into a thematic asset specifically tailored for every show and intended to close the gap between actor and audience, thus blurring the lines between seating and staging by utilizing a little red twist in the concept and design of each production to provide a totally unique theater experience that is simultaneously intimate, comfortable, and safe, yet intense, edgy, and thrilling at a distance only inches away. Dusty, good afternoon. How are you? Doing great. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. I'm excited to have you here too. I've uh, I always love talking about theater, and especially Red Twist is a very unique theater style that is personally one of my favorites in terms of that intimate sort of thrilling aspect of things. So I'm excited to hear more about that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's I, it's one of the things that really attracted me to Red Twist uh, when I first moved to Chicago was that. Intimate, up close, every seat's a front row seat. You're only going to be a couple of feet away from the actors, even if they're standing across the stage from you. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, the intimate sort of kitchen sink theater, I feel like you. I've always liked taking the proscenium away and putting people in a position where, honestly, if they're scared, that actually makes the show a little more empathetic. It makes it... Absolutely. Yeah. There's um, a real risk that it might bleed over onto you. Yeah, it, it should. It should. In a lot of circumstances, it should. Well, geez, we've already started with this. So, but, uh, so yeah, I've I've had uh, I've talked to a number of different theater folks on the show, and you know they come from a lot of different backgrounds. And what's your story? Tell me a little bit about yourself, how you came to Red Twist, where your theater background began. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a pretty recent transplant. I moved to Chicago after the pandemic. Before that, I spent many years down in Atlanta producing and directing and kind of wearing just about every hat in theater. So I started off backstage behind the curtains running props and eventually uh, worked my way up to artistic director. So it's been a, a fun journey and I've been really thrilled to find Red Twist. Like I said, when I first moved here, I started seeing theaters around Chicago. You know, I'd always heard of the incredible Chicago storefront scene, but coming in and seeing the work and the quality of performance that Red Twist was doing on, you know, a shoestring budget with a tiny house and being able to bring just such incredibly high caliber actors to such powerful stories really, really drew me in. I saw everything they did their first year back from the pandemic and ended up getting to work with them on their fourth show of the season as a production manager, and then pretty quickly uh, stepped into the role of artistic director. Nice. That's a theater person's dream, really. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was quite the ride. And, you know, moving here in the middle of the pandemic, you don't know exactly what anyone's prospects are going to be. So it was a fascinating journey. And, you know, it's interesting because... There's this pattern of, and obviously we talk to new business owners a lot and we sure. talk, you know, especially of course, small business owners. And there's been this pattern in my, in my last few episodes of these business owners having just moved here either during or right before, during or right after the pandemic. And 
it's we can't get away with an episode without talking about it, of course, but it's been a trend I'm starting to notice and the people that are coming in and, and starting their own projects and starting their own businesses and discovering Chicago in this this new state that it is in after the pandemic it's 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 cool to hear especially i think for people that have lived here a long time they may have or have not noticed the significant changes or even the subtle changes that occurred during the pandemic yeah especially in theater sorry to cut you off but especially <laughs> no in theater. It, is, it is especially in theater i mean we're as an industry we're at a time when you know even the largest theaters not only here in chicago but across the country are struggling to fill houses and justify their budget so it's a fascinating time to be stepping into leadership at a theater and it's really a time when i feel like what audiences are looking for has really changed you know mm -hmm. we've had a lot of shifts in the entire entertainment industry. I mean, it's not just theater. You can also see film and television with the strikes that are happening and the way streaming has affected everything. But I don't think we'd really taken the time to reckon with that as a theater community. And I think that one of the things that I'm really invested in as we come back from the pandemic is creating theater that is immediate and speaks directly to the community around us. I mean, we really hope with our season of pride that we have a lot of direct connections with Anderson's Andersonville's huge gay and lesbian population, you know, moving, being someone who was a little queer kid in the deep South <laughs> and uh, getting to move to a city like Chicago that is so embracing and accepting of not only different sexualities, but different gender identities, different races, different ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds. It is just so beautiful and wonderful to be in a city that is open and embracing it in that way. And with a theater company set right over in uh, Edgewater and looking at the area around us, the opportunity to do a season that speaks directly to the LGBTQ population was so important to us and so important for me. Well, great. Thank you. You know, we've heard a little bit about your background and just uh, everything in terms of where you came from, from theater and what your goals were coming to Chicago. Can you give me a little history of just so uh, for anyone who may be unfamiliar, and I know Red Twist has been around for a long time, but uh, can yeah. you give me a little history on Red Twist too? Yeah. So Red Twist actually started back in the early to mid nineties as Actors Workshop Theater. And it was just an itinerant group of actors who would get together when they had a play they really wanted to put on, find a space and do it. And uh, then in the early 2000s, they found their space over on Bryn Mawr, right in the uh, historic Bryn Mawr district, and opened up their little 50-seat black box theater and started doing plays. They had a real focus on Arthur Miller and a lot of American classics. And uh, then in the past few years, as they were leading up to the pandemic, they were really starting to experiment with newer plays and newer works. Pandemic happened, obviously, and uh, there were lots of changes in leadership and staff. And we came back post-pandemic and started building forward. So we have last year produced our first uh, national new play network, Rolling World Premiere. And we have another play, Bottle Fly, that's going to be a world premiere as well coming up at the end of this season. So we're really starting to uh, try and bring new stories into the Chicago market. And uh, we're hoping to really bring that to full fruition next summer when we'll be doing our new play festival, which is going to be 
festival of new plays focused very specifically on Chicago playwrights and Chicago directors. Awesome. I've I've worked with a couple of theaters that did new play festivals. And I have to say, it's interesting because they'll maybe often get one play play out of Chicago, but it's not necessarily a Chicago based new play festival. Yeah. Our commitment is to have a full slate of Chicago playwrights. So that's our hope. That's our goal. And we're starting that process right now. Well, and coming back to you, we're talking about your new season a little bit and specifically the communities you're working with because this season is the season of pride. Yeah. So, you know, uh, like I said, I grew up queer in the South and uh, especially when you're growing up in a very conservative culture, it really sinks in for you how much representation matters and especially representation in media and representation in the stories we tell is incredibly important. And so we really wanted to do a season at Red Twist that focuses on the Edgewater and Andersonville gay and lesbian population and tell stories that are hopefully reflective and interesting and engaging for uh, everyone at Andersonville and Edgewater. That's awesome. I mean, that's, it's, it's nice. It's, I love that, you know, I've, I've mentioned, you know, on the podcast before that I love that Andersonville is a neighborhood that is often thought of as, you know, one of the LGBTQ neighborhoods in Chicago, but also open and available to everyone. It's not, it's not, um, you know, siloed into that one specific area, but we do have a lot of queer small business owners and also artistic interpretations or, or uh, artists and, and theater people in the neighborhood that feel like this is a place where they want to present that kind of work. Absolutely. So I want to talk about your first show. I want to yeah. talk about Wolves because, <laughs> um, you know, you and I have spoken a little bit before recording about I was very excited to see you were doing Wolves because it's a show I love and I'm very passionate about. But uh, why don't why don't I let you take take the lead here on, on talking about sure. Wolves? Yeah, it is a phenomenal queer horror story. It's the perfect play for the Halloween season. I'm really excited to be doing it. During the month of October, it runs through November 5th, and it is, I'm, I'm always cautious about giving too much away because there's some fun twists and turns throughout, but it's this really wonderful exploration of queer dating and the queer experience, especially, I think, for younger audiences, not young audiences, but uh, audiences, you know, between college and 30, 40 mm-hmm. years of age is really, I think it's going to have a lot of interest for that audience. And it, especially coming out of the pandemic, I got to see the play in 2013 or 14 when it first premiered in Atlanta. And then I reread it last year coming out of the pandemic. And one of the things that struck me, it centers on two gay men who used to date, but now are just living together in an apartment. And boy, if we didn't all have some version of that being (laughs) stuck in a relatively small apartment with some people who your relationship is rapidly changing with um, throughout the pandemic. So, So there's something about that isolation and paranoia that is inherent to this play that just feels so deeply relevant to this moment. Well, and one of the one of the things about wolves specifically that I've, I'm excited to to you know hear more of your insight on, but we had we did talk a little bit about before just because I got too excited that you were doing it. <laughs> um, wolves is a play, you know. Uh, I think 
just from my own personal experience, and I won't make this too long, but uh, for a while when I was taking part in gay theater, you know, uh, starting in about 2013 in Chicago, there was a degree to which theater was getting a little bit derivative or gay theater was getting a little bit derivative, a little bit repetitive. You were seeing a lot of the same shows over and over or particular themes of shows that were kind of just catering to particular audiences. And Wolves was a play that a friend and I had discovered that we were astounded by because it's a different kind of queer play. And the we had brought it to a company we were working with to produce it. And the feedback that we got that was they felt it was too sex negative. And I don't want to dissuade anyone from from coming to this show because we disagreed completely <laughs> as we were, I will say, the only millennial queer people working at this theater. And this is a play that as younger gay men, especially when app dating culture was mm-hmm. just starting and we had just moved into this big city where it wasn't sex negative. It's a very sex positive play, but it really does explore some of the more fearful or darker sides of not just the dating world, but how you perceive yourself in the dating world. I mean, you know, we could go into all these things like queer body issues and and even just, you know, uh, your level of queerness for how people might see you or judge you versus others. But this play struck me as being like, I feel this way. It's it is a horror play and it's a little a thriller play it's and it's it has some you know more intense themes to it but it felt more real than any other queer theater that i had done i i would love to hear your take on that yeah i mean so one of the things that we talked about a lot the play is the title of it is i think a queer fairy tale wolves a queer fairy tale and it is an adaptation or a reimagining of little red riding hood And so, you know, like, you know that you're going into the play. We started working on it in rehearsals and very quickly we realized one of the big themes about it that I think plays exactly into what you're talking about in terms of image and perception is how we put on different faces. So especially with the notion of like the big bad wolf and how he's going to come in, he's going to put on granny's clothing and, you know, what big eyes you have, what big ears you have, you know, playing into that questioning of perceptions is a real key tenet in the play. And we very quickly realize that so much of this play deals exactly like you were talking about with how we present and like, who is the internal person and who is, what is the mask that we put on for the world? Mm -hmm. What do we put on ourselves to go out to the club? And how is that different from when we go into work the next day? And how is that different from who we are, you know, hanging out in our apartment with friends and, and how each of those masks is a slightly different person. And especially in queer life and queer culture, you know, again, for myself coming uh, out of the Deep South, it's like you learn when and what mask you're supposed to wear at different times. And I think Wolves really tackles that in fascinating ways. It shows you characters and then it starts to peel away layers and you see more and more of them. I think it's interesting to hear that uh, people saw the show as a sex negative show. I think we've created a very sex positive production and a big thing, there are, there is some danger within the play. There is threats of violence within it that I can see how one could come to that. But for us, it just led to incredibly powerful discussions yeah. about kink culture, about 
sex positivity and about how uh taking owner how important it is to take ownership of your own sexuality and your own sexual interest and that in fact the restraining of that is often what leads to our own trauma and our own downfalls well queer dating is not just a rosy love story in the in the real no, world all by the no time. Means. it is not um, <laughs> and you know these days we have so many barriers in terms of swipe right button clicks you know you know what's your picture on your profile and it i think it creates a very judgmental atmosphere yeah. like it really puts us all in this mode of just judging people on their most basic presentation. And it made me question, it made me think, you know, you talk about how we wear all these different masks and which one is actually me, you know, yeah. which am I, am I ever not wearing a mask? Well, when you're ever... building that dating profile, you know, you're, you're selecting what it is that you want to put on, whether it's grinder or any of them, you know, you're selecting what it is that you want to present on that app. And that's choosing aspects of yourself. It's never going to be a full picture. What uh, What's the suggested age for wolves? Yeah, it's there is violence in it. There is cursing in it. There are obviously strong sexual themes. I would say 16 or above is appropriate. There's no nudity, but it's, um, yeah. It, it's strong. It's definitely... It's I think the ideas are the hardest things to grapple with yeah. in it. Just because, I mean, from my own perspective, I'm a person that's, I, I've never personally had a problem with, you know, stronger themes or horror or thrills or anything like that. But this is the sort of show that if I had seen when I was younger, I think would have given me a perspective on just queer life or how, you know, my own internal queer monologue that wasn't presented to me in most media, Yeah, you know, or at least given me a conversation starter to talk about either with my therapist or with my <laughs> friends or something like that. Just because I, I would think that scared me, this, this idea of, you know, not having control or, or, you know, uh, being shoved into a, a category or a corner scares me. Well, let's talk about that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do think that it's got a lot of fuel for further thought and further conversation. We actually have a few events coming up on October 28th. We're going to be going to one of our restaurant partners, Beard and Belly, for a conversation after the show. And on November 4th, we'll be going to a different restaurant partner, La Pharmacy, right there on Bryn Mawr, for a little meet and greet after the show. Both of those are great opportunities to talk about the themes and mm -hmm. wolves. Myself and the cast will both be there. So it's a really beautiful play. It's full of fun camp and horror aspects. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great way to spend your Halloween season. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> get, let's get as spooky as we can, or let's get as... Uh... A scary, not even, it's not that it's scary. It's just, it's thriller. It's intense. You know, you it know, makes I you was, feel, yeah. I was a horror fan from a very young age. I mean, I think probably at a too young age, I saw Silence of the Lambs and just fell in love uh, with the thriller horror genre. Brilliant, brilliant. And, um, you know, this has wonderful references to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining in it. And it, anyways, if you're a fan of horror, I think it's a great way to spend your evening. Well, and I want to bounce off that a little bit because another little side conversation that you and I started to have before we started recording, and then I said, hold on, wait, yeah, we're going to talk about this <laughs> in the podcast, is um, because I also personally have a love for intimate kitchen sink, storefront, you know, and a lot of the time, little either scary or, thr or more thriller or sometimes as far as horror theater. And I think 
there is been a has been a little bit of a renaissance in terms of the public's interest in seeing these things and i think horror theater or thriller theater things that are deeper and darker like this are very important and people mm -hmm. don't realize that the effect that this type of theater has as opposed to going to see you know your regular uh, slice of life Mike Nichols play or something sure, like that. Sure, sure, sure. Not yep. that I don't like him, but um, uh, so I'd love to get your take on why this type of theater is important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, one of the things that we are really grappling with as an industry is that for many, many years, decades, theaters, especially some of the lar larger mainstay theaters have been chasing an increasingly aging audience and the pandemic really changed the way that people value theater, the way that people want to go see theater. And a lot of those audiences aren't coming back out anymore. Um, maybe that's that they've moved away. Uh, maybe it's that they are no longer, you know, if you're over a certain age, COVID is a real threat and the willingness to go sit in a tiny enclosed space for a number of hours is a lot less appealing than it was pre-pandemic. So one of the things that we're really trying to do is reach out to the audiences that were maybe ignored in that previous pursuit. Reach out to younger audiences that have not been coming into the theater, that haven't maybe seen themselves represented on stage. I mean, one of the things that I really love about this cast of wolves is it is young, it is diverse, and they are incredible performers. I mean, these actors are taking some risks on a nightly basis that I think are truly stunning. And I really, it has been a thrill to work with each and every one of them. And I really hope people come out to see the incredible work they're doing on stage. And I hope that young people come out to see the incredible work they're doing on stage. Because I do think that this is a play that is really, like I said, targeted at that like 25 to 45 set. Mm -hmm. Bouncing off that, uh, uh, one of the, you know, we've talked about how Red Twist as a whole, creating that intimacy, cutting down, you know, taking out the proscenium and not separating the audience from what's happening on stage is, is a goal and yeah. is important. What do you think, how, how do you think that affects how people view theater? What's important about that or why, what separates a production of wolves that you might see on a proscenium, proscenium stage from production of wolves you're going to see at Red Twist Theater? Sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that I've been saying for, for years now, and it's, you know, we're in a, we're in an audio medium right now, so I can't do this uh, <laughs> visually, but um, I would ask people, you know, what is it that theater can do that film can't do that, you know, YouTube, Netflix, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, none of them are ever going to be able to do this. And it's the ability to reach out and physically touch someone. If you are in that room, you are in that room with the actor, not an image of the actor, not a representation of the actor, but the actual actor. And that is a real life person. They are aware when you laugh, they are aware when you cry or curse or gasp or whatever it is, but they are feeding off of and playing with the audience as an active participant. It's not like when you're going to see a Marvel movie or something. So when you're coming into Red Twist, it's an intimate 50, 35 to 50 seats maximum, and you're only going to be a few feet away from the audience or from the actors on stage. And on in Wolves, I mean, we have one character uh, who is the narrator character throughout the play, 
who is constantly looking to the audience, giving them direct feedback, talking to them, engaging with them. And so Monique in that role is having an honest conversation with a different audience every night. And every night that means the performance is going to be a little bit different. It's going to take on new aspects. It's going to feed off of what you're giving back. And that is to me, the real power of theatrical storytelling. And you know, when you get to the conclusion of this play, it gets a little chaotic, and again, I don't want to give too much away, but actors are are crawling and pulling things up off the floor that audiences literally have to slide their feet back mm-hmm. to get out of the way of. Yeah, but that's important, especially yeah. for uh, particularly for, I think, a show like this or uh, particularly for, for queer theater, because if you separate the audience from it, what are they taking home, you know? Absolutely. What are they taking uh, with them when they leave? And yeah, you might affect someone, you might, you know, they might be thinking about it after, but the idea, they can't, they don't want to experience that and themselves and they can't, uh, there will always be to a degree some separation, but the more you can reach them and fear is a great way to reach people. It is. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, you know, for a play that is very much about, it all takes place in a single apartment. It's about being trapped in. It's about being afraid to go out. So with that in mind, this kind of intimate setting really does lock the audience in a space that is about the size of my apartment at home. So, I mean, they're really locked in the apartment with the actors. And I think that just makes for such powerful and immediate performances. Yeah. Awesome. Which is important. Yeah. You know, absolutely. uh, We'll talk a little bit more about sort of the importance of that later too. But um, so finishing up just a little bit in terms of about the season of pride, what are the other shows that you have going on for this season? So, Wolves closes on November 5th, and then we're going to be quiet for a little bit because we've got a big renovation coming. And then on the other side of renovating in the spring, we'll be producing Larry Kramer's The Normal Heart, Mm. which Mm -hmm. is an incredible, beautiful play about the very earliest days of the AIDS epidemic. It is written by Larry Kramer, who was um, one of the founders of a number of different AIDS organizations uh, in New York in the 1980s. And it is just a heartbreaking play. But one of the things that really attracted me to it as we planned our season of Pride is that it's also a play about political organizing. It's a play about how you create coalitions to raise awareness to promote your agenda. And so with everything going on in our world and in America right now, I think a play that helps us start conversations on how to build community and how to build community conversations is going to be vital. And I'm, I'm really thrilled to have that be the show that's going to open up our newly renovated performance space. And then at the end of the season, we're going to be doing Bottlefly, which is a play that was actually written in 2017, but it's never been produced, largely because of the pandemic. So we're thrilled to be the world premiere of that play. It is by playwright Jacqueline Goldfinger, who actually wrote Babel from our last season. I read Babel, fell in love with it, and then immediately started looking into what other plays Jacqueline had written and and found Bottlefly. It is about discovering your queerness it is set in the everglades in south florida and oh boy uh yeah i mean you know again i feel like i've said this a few times now but again as a little queer kid from the south to be able to 
tell this story about uh, discovering your queerness in a very oppressive environment is really vital. And I think it can be, you know, as happy and thrilled as I am to be in Chicago that is such an accepting community. I think it's important to remember that there are plenty of corners of America right now that are not nearly as embracing or accepting of queerness or different gender identities or different sexualities. And yeah, I'm just excited to do a play that uh, looks at what it is to be queer in a very conservative area. Yeah, well, and I have to say, I like your comments on normal heart pointing out like building the political coalitions and how to how to build those groups and how to fight for you know rights and fight for yourself only because i think it's it's interesting you know i'm i'm a millennial but i maybe out of my own personal education uh, or my own uh, interest in it educated myself on the aids crisis you know i'm a 90s kid mm-hmm. it was still something that was Uh, very, very present. But these days I meet more and more younger queer people that have very little to no familiarity with the actual events that took place and what the process of building a coalition or building a group or protesting for your rights actually involved and what people were fighting against. So I think it's, it's difficult in terms of what I've seen with younger theater artists that I know to take a play about AIDS or the AIDS crisis and make it still topical and relatable because they don't know as much about it. You, yeah. you know, you talk to younger, younger kid, queer kids in their 20s, and I've met too many that it really has kind of shocked me that they don't really know. They know what happened. They don't mm-hmm. really know anything about it, though. Absolutely. Well, you know, I can say for myself, you know, I really theatrically first learned. I mean, I knew of the AIDS epidemic, but I really came to a greater awareness of it through Tony Kushner's Angels in America. Yeah, of course which is a beautiful play and I love it. And it is a, a stunning picture of a certain era in America. But one of the things that really appealed to me about Normal Heart was that it does something that I think Angels doesn't do. And that is teach us how to build community around around these tragedies, mm-hmm. around traumas. And I think there are lots of tragedies in not just our country, but in our world right now yeah. that having a, a stronger ability, a stronger capacity to talk about those traumas and to organize and create political action out of them is going to be increasingly important for us going forward. You know? I yeah. think we've had those experiences as a country in the past around things like World War II, which united everyone under a common cause. We haven't had those as much in recent history. We've yeah. been much more divided. And so finding ways to understand and rally around the darkest moments in our history and figure out how to find a path forward together is really important. And I think that Normal Heart does that. It does that by showing how you fight and how you ally yourself with others. Yeah. I mean, there's clearly you and the company have put significant amount more thought into the idea of the season of pride other than what queer shows are there that we can do. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's not just about going, okay, this is a play with gay characters. Right. That is not, in my mind, that's not sufficient to really live up to that. It has to be about celebrating what we as, as queer people have both experienced, what we hope for, what we're afraid of, and how we move forward in the world. 
Awesome. Well, thank you. I that's it's just great to hear when you know, especially you know, it's kind of the next thing I jump into. But I always ask small business owners and organization leaders for advice for other people that may be either stuck in their own situations or want to start a business or something like that. But with theater in particular, it's been a much more uh, I don't uh, I would say frustrating conversation mm. because you know theaters one of the major industries that saw not just a serious but far and everlasting impact from covid you know a ton of theaters closed you know since reopening a ton of changed their programming just to try and get audiences back you know they shortened their seasons they're taking breaks and you know like you said you came on as artistic director right after covid correct yeah okay. absolutely i came on in july of 2022 oh <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and um it's just i i have a lot of theater friends or i know people in the city that you know worked or still work in the industry and their companies are still in a sort of hiatus yeah. um trying to recover they're having trouble figuring out how to get out of it and you know how how did that work for Red Twist? You came in at a very difficult time. And I mean, you kind of had to come in and reevaluate the entire company. Yeah. And uh, we, like many theaters, we have seen uh, significant drops in revenue and attendance. We had lost a number of our board of directors over the course of the pandemic. It, it was a challenging time to step in. In some ways, I feel like I am lucky because when I was still in Atlanta, I was with a theater company that received a mortal wound from the 2008 financial crisis. And I was with that company for seven years and saw them struggle to stay open and eventually close uh, because of the losses that they experienced at that time. And so when I came here and I stepped into Red Twist, I really came in with the notion that no matter what has happened in the past, no matter what building we have done previously, we've got to start treating things as if it's year zero. We've got to start building as if there is no foundation anymore because the pandemic changed the game for everyone. It wiped out past supporters, past donors. Um, It just really gutted the industry. And all kinds of theaters are struggling with that right now. We've been very lucky. We have engaged ensemble, a passionate ensemble who have been active in the community for years. We also have had a lot of new younger ensemble members who joined us either right before I started or since I started that have really helped us to diversify our ensemble and reach out to new audiences and engage new people to come into the theater, which has been phenomenal. And then we've also been very actively building and growing our board, which is not the most glamorous or exciting thing to talk about, but we've gone from a board of five members to a board of nine members in one year, and we're still actively recruiting and engaging on that front. So it's really a time right now for us to find community partners. You know, I mentioned some of our restaurant partners that we've been working with. Mm -hmm. We are continuing to reach out and engage new partners on that front. And we are really just looking to regrow community roots and really be a theater that is very much 
speaking to Edgewater and Andersonville and the lives of the people who live right here. And have you found like the community and the neighbors of Edgewater and Andersonville receptive and, you know, uh, wanting to support and coming out and, and like even talking about you with ways that they can help? More and more. I mean, um, you know, I, I have such love for uh, Beard and Belly that's right there on Broadway, just a few blocks up from us. But they, uh, you know, when we came in and we're just like, hey, we're starting from scratch. We're trying to figure it out. They said, yeah, you know, come by. We'll stay open late so that you can have some talk backs after and have some meet and greets. And really just starting those conversations and reaching out to the local business community and the local restaurant and bar community. Cause they have also been restaurants and bars have been hit so hard by COVID. I mean, places that used to stay open until midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning are now closing at 10 o'clock. Yeah. So it's been, you know, theater is not by any means the only or the worst hit by this, but uh, it's been good to find, partners throughout the community who can help us rebuild and come back together and hopefully create an active community here in the Edgewater Andersonville area. So did the rebuilding, did you find yourself either, you know, having to reevaluate Red Twist's mission or uh, the direction of the theater, or like we mentioned before, change your programming where I, I, I know the difficult thing can be not sacrificing your morals and mm-hmm. your determinations with the theater. But being realistic in that we got to bring in money too, you know, that's a very, very difficult dynamic. Yeah. And it's been the case, you know, I was not involved with Red Twist prior to the pandemic. Uh, I wasn't even in the city, so I can't speak too horribly much to that side of it, but certainly stepping in. A big focus of us is that, you know, when Red Twist was founded, uh, Edgewater Andersonville was a predominantly white neighborhood. It was uh, much less diverse than it has become in the past few years. And we're really actively diversifying our staff, our casts, and everyone who's in the company to really be representative of the community around us. Because it's very hard to speak to the community when you aren't a part of it, if you don't look like the community, if you aren't engaged with the community. Mm Do you as the artistic director have any particular goals in mind beyond this season that, you know, I know it's a big question, but, um, you know, I always like to hear sort of about, um, I I know as a director, it's hard to just think of what you're doing right now. You think of the future and you think of every little aspect of it. And I'm, I'm curious, you coming in and taking this over, have you found your process? Have you found, you know, your intentions for beyond the season of Pride? Sure. Well, you know, one of the big projects we're engaged in, it's not necessarily, you know, it's very um, goal oriented. But uh, when I started, one of our ensemble members sent me just a link to a city of Chicago Department of Planning and Development grant and said, this would be neat. Maybe we should apply. (laughs) Uh, And so I, you know, I started the end of July, 2022. I think I submitted the application by the end of August that year. So one month in and we were accepted by the Department of Planning and Development as part of their neighborhood renewal projects coming back from the pandemic. And so we have a three to one matching grant that's gonna let us renovate our space. And we've been in that same space for 20 years now. It has been well-loved in that time and uh, uh, 
seen its fair bit of wear and tear through the years, and so it is desperately in need of rejuvenation, and the city grant has really allowed that. We've been working with local architect Joel Berman, who has been just an absolute blessing in terms of really helping us navigate the city process. You know, we are an incredibly small theater. We don't have any full-time staff, so having allies within the community who can help us uh, navigate some of the some of the larger and more labyrinthine aspects of uh, being a Chicago business has been incredibly helpful. And uh, so that has been a big part for us is to create a space that when we're on the other side of the renovation is going to be more open and accessible to everyone and hopefully create a communal space that uh, allows people not only to be present for when we're putting on shows, but to come by before, stay after, and really have a communal space that, uh, you know, you don't have to pay to be there. Right. So, yeah. Do you have, uh, does Red Twist, you know, obviously we've talked about the focus and particularly on this season and telling queer stories. Do you have organizations that you do work with now or that you would like to work with in the future in terms of engaging the audience outside of the shows, you know? Sure. Yeah. We don't have too many right now. I mean, I've mentioned some of our restaurant and business partners who have helped us with more administerial side of things. We really would love to find a partner for uh, the normal heart to really have a much more robust conversation about sexual education, sexual transmitted diseases, AIDS specifically, and how that has evolved. You know, the play is set in the 80s at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic and is very important to understand that history. But of course now there's been incredible medical advances around HIV awareness and treatment. So there's a lot there's a lot that can be said about that and we'd love to find partners to help us have just more nuanced conversations uh, and talkbacks, especially once that show starts. Great. Yeah. I mean, I know there's tons of organizations in the city that you could work with, I'm sure. And Absolutely. if anyone's interested, feel free to reach out. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> um, I, I know a number of them listen to this podcast, so that'd be nice. Uh, so one of the last things I want to talk to you about is this came to mind, you know, just two nights ago, I'm sitting in bed and I'm like that I had an interesting podcast conversation three weeks ago. I want to see what you think about this. But I had the pleasure of speaking with the owners of The Understudy uh, Coffee and Books, uh, and we had a really great conversation about the state of theater today. Uh, Adam told a funny story. Someone had walked into the store and been, so why should I care about, and asked, why should I care about theater? And he was like, whoa, okay. But we we had a conversation about the state of theater today. It's importance and then also the, the kind of renaissance that theater is currently going through. A, a phrase that they used that I really liked was that theater artists seem to be taking the work back so to say, from tearing down the commercial hierarchy of the system and how it's felt and the control that everyone else has seemed to have on theater artists for the whole, you know, you're going to do it for free because you love it, or yeah. we're doing this show because we want to, as opposed to letting the artists lead the way. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a big shift. I mean, I think uh, the theater industry has been, for years, uh, predominantly white, predominantly heteronormative and really, I mean, you know, our icons have been Arthur Miller. And even if we, you know, when Tennessee Williams is in the conversation, it's 
rarely about uh, about his queerness, about his homosexuality. Mm-hmm. It's often focused on his most heterosexual and hypermasculine uh, characters. Yeah. So I think it is a time when we're really seeing a big shift in our industry. And I think one of the things that you can really look at, uh, you know, theater is part of a broad ecosystem that includes everything from TikTok to whatever Martin Scorsese's next film is going to be. You know what I mean? Like all of the entertainment industry encapsulates theater and many of our greatest actors, directors, and, and screenwriters have started off in theater. I mean, Chicago has an incredibly storied history of people who have gone on from here to then tell universal stories that are seen by millions of people. Mm -hmm. So it is one of those things where we, I think are seeing right now, instead of chasing what's popular or chasing the idea of what's popular, artists are starting to experiment again. Artists are really starting to take things in hand and try to tell stories in new and inventive ways. I mean, Wolves is written by Steve Yaki, who is now doing incredibly weird work on The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. (laughs) And that's a completely trippy, weird story to tell that is about addiction, but is also mm, takes some weird twists and turns. So if you want a taste of what he's doing before you come see Wolves, I highly recommend you check it out. But I do think this is a time when we're starting to see a lot more experimentation happen in theater. Going back to what I was saying earlier about how theater is really got the capacity to reach out and touch people. I'm seeing a lot more works that engage directly with the audience in the room with them that really want to have that deep personal connection. I mean, uh, I've seen more and more plays and Wolves does this as well, but where, whether it's from program note from the playwright or the curtain speech or one of the, you know, first lines out of an actor's mouth, but that encourage audiences to, to be engaged, to gasp, to ooh, to awe, to clap, to cheer, to cry, whatever, uh, whatever the moment calls for, but really to engage in that visceral verbal, vocal communication with the people on stage, because it is something that we as theater artists respond to. And it is the joy of doing live theater is that you get to do a play every night that has a completely new cast member and that new cast member is the audience. Well, um, normally this is the point where I would ask you for advice for, say, young theater, um, (laughs) aspiring theater artists to, say, uh, break into doing that kind of theater or finding sure. a way. But my my question I actually want to ask you is what's your advice for prospective audience members or for people that may, even if they've just listened to this podcast and they find the idea of seeing some experimental theater they haven't seen before enticing, uh, what is your advice for audience members or for just the general people that are curious about some experimental theater and don't really know how to approach it or maybe kind of afraid to approach it? How do they expose themselves to it in a comfortable way? Yeah, I think I think the first thing is expose yourself to it. I mean, that <laughs> is the first and foremost. Just go see theater. Get out there, see what's happening. 
Um, one of the things that I think a lot of theaters are doing post-pandemic uh, is really trying to increase accessibility. At Red Twist, we've lowered our prices so that more people can afford to come in and see the show. We've also made Friday nights pay what you can so that if if you want to reserve a ticket for free, come see the show. If you hate it, you don't have to give us anything. You know, it's a chance to come and see theater and see what's happening. And we're not by any means the only people doing that. So first and foremost, get out and go see theater because I think a lot of people, you don't know if you're going to like it until you've tried it. You know, I grew up in a household where you didn't have to finish the food if you didn't like it, but you weren't allowed to not try it. Mm. And I think that that's a pretty good philosophy for theater as well. Maybe you're going to come and see some shows you don't like especially if you can find pay what you can performances, it doesn't cost you anything but an hour or two of your time. So go out and see, because I think a lot of people would be really surprised at what they find out they do like. Mm -hmm. And I think especially with the way that the entire entertainment industry has changed, we have such specific stories that are being told now, stories that are so targeted at specific audiences, small slivers of the population. And that is a beautiful thing. You can find the show that speaks just to you. And that is, I think, the real power of especially small, experimental, independent theaters that are doing works that you aren't going to see on bigger stages. Yeah. You know, uh, the nice thing about having a, a 35 to 50 seat house is I don't have to worry about selling out 600 seats every night. I can do shows that speak to a relatively small audience and still have an engaged and full house every night. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really hope that uh, if nothing else, take away from this, go see more theater. It's been a rough few years for the industry and you'll be helping out a lot by attending. And you're going to find, I think right now, you're going to find some stuff that maybe you haven't seen before. I also think just... Uh, adding one little thing on my own side is encouraging people if they do go, you know, mentioned people might go see and they might see something they don't like, encouraging them to take a, to think about or try and recognize if they're still, if they didn't like it, are you still thinking about it two days later? You know, because even if you didn't like the show, that doesn't mean you can't get something out of it. And I think people don't realize the fact that they are thinking about it. And even if after two days, they're just like, I can't believe how much I hated that show. Okay, well, why is it sticking with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I Not that know, anyone will hate wolves, but... <laughs> no, but I think... Um, I don't want to go too deep into like reviews of it, but one of the things that struck me from one of the reviewers was talking about how they will be thinking about this show for a while. And I was like, whether they liked the show or not, whether it was their particular taste, the fact that something about it was sticky, something is going to stay with them and they're going to carry that out into the world... And next time they see a horror play, hopefully they're going, oh, you know, thinking about what they saw last time they saw something in this genre. You know, so I, I, I think that, yeah, even if you don't love a play, even if you don't have the most cathartic experience from seeing it, if it sticks with you, if it makes you continue to ask questions about our world and ask questions about how you're living your life, then, hey, that's... That's pretty powerful stuff and hopefully what most theaters are aiming for. I mean, it's a theater person's dream, even if they don't like your show, if someone tells yeah. them, you know, <laughs> I didn't like it, but I still think about it. And they're like, great, I did it. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, so, and to kind of wrap up here, you know, we talked about um, some other upcoming events that you have. I, I was hoping you could provide our listeners a uh, little more info or just, uh, you know, a wrap up of some of the events coming up. Yeah. So I mentioned that we have some special nights coming up for Wolves. And then at the end of our season, we'll also have special nights um, for the rest of our plays, Normal Heart and Bottlefly. Once we set dates for those uh, based on the renovation, we'll be able to have more info on all of our social media and websites. But uh, next summer, we have something that'll be a real first for Red Twist. We've been working to engage on newer works and new stories that speak to younger and more diverse audiences. And we are thrilled to be engaging in a new play festival at the end of this season that is going to be Chicago-focused and Chicago-based. So we are reaching out to Chicago playwrights and directors right now. Obviously, at the end of the season, when we get towards casting, we'll be engaging a lot of Chicago actors, technicians, designers around this. But it's going to be a festival of new works based out of, grown out of the Chicago community that hopefully speaks directly to the Chicago community. And uh, we're really thrilled to open our doors up and embrace the broader Chicago theatrical community and hopefully tell some really cool new stories, play with form a little bit. And uh, it's the goal of the festival is that we're going to create something that gives not just a singular performance opportunity, but uh, returning development opportunities. So we're going to have our main stage that'll be a fully produced show, but then we're going to have a series of staged readings that are on their feet, moving around, but still probably scripts in hand. And then table readings where it's actors with music stands just reading plays. And every year we're going to select our favorites from the table reads and turn them into staged readings and give them a year of development. And we're going to select the plays that are staged readings and take our favorite out of that and turn it into a fully produced play for the next season. So the real hope is that it becomes for certain artists uh, an opportunity to see their work grow and develop over two to three years and really become its own fully fleshed out piece at Red Twist. And I have to say that is one of the best things, you know, obviously going to see shows is important. One of the best things that anyone can do to support, you know, an aspiring writer or new writer or any kind of uh, playwright is to go see the staged readings or the, just the, the work, the, you know, table reads, because that's where these playwrights get their feedback. And that's where they learn how to develop these shows and figure out ways to make them more relatable or find ways to connect with the audience more. And they're fun. I always encourage people to go to staged readings. They're they're, Absolutely. they're they're fun, like sort of ways to just analyze how you feel about theater. And a lot of the times the the reading, they want your feedback, you know, what worked, what didn't work. A hundred percent. They want we want your feedback and we want to hear, yeah, I mean, you know, what was thrilling to you about it, especially when we're talking about uh, table reads and staged readings. We've really stripped away the spectacle aspect. And so it really does become about, you know, how do these words on stage reach an audience? How does it hit you just to hear this conversation being had without maybe the uh, the fully fleshed out, you know, stage combat or uh, lighting and sound and costumes and, and scenery that comes with it. Yeah. So how did these words impact you? And and yeah, we're really excited to do that with Playfest and, awesome. and hear back from the community. Awesome. 
Well, Dusty, uh, where can people find you? Social media. What's your address? Sure, what's yeah. your website? Everything. <laughs> so Red Twist is still in our same uh, little black box on Bryn Mawr. We're at 1044 Bryn Mawr Avenue, just a few blocks from Lakeshore Drive. We are running right now through November 5th. We have shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights at 730, Sundays matinees at 330. You can reserve your tickets online at redtwisttheater.org. You can also buy season passes. You can buy flex passes. And the way that system works is great because you get four tickets. If you decide you want to spend all four tickets on Wolves, fantastic. Great. We're happy to have you. If you want to spend one on each of the plays, that's also up to you. So uh, it gives you a little bit of flexibility in how you come to see our shows. And then you can also find us on all of the normal social media platforms. It's Red Twist, R-E-D-T-W-I-S-T, all one word. Uh, Red Twist Theater. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, all of them. So you can find us there. And yeah, just keep uh, keep an eye out for what's coming next. Awesome. Well, Dusty, thank you for being here with me today. This is a great conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.